One of these men is one of Melbourne's brightest newsbreakers. Truly was the last chance for Melbournians to break out a dance move. The other is a five-star jerk. I just don't want to get embroiled in his Twitter spat. Across Melbourne, this is Breakfast with Seb Costello and Lawrence Mooney on Triple M. Triple M rocks Melbourne. Well, we've got a very warm, hot, in fact, showbiz feud on our hands. I read from the Herald Sun today Mm. that back in 2006... Stevie Nicks of Fleetwood Mac fame demanded that the voice himself, John Farnham, be sacked from a double bill tour because John Farnham was going overtime on his set. Wow. So uh, too long at the mic, John, I want him out of here. Stevie (laughs) Nicks has spoken and he would have uh, gone into the dressing room. They would have had a kerfuffle and he would have said to Stevie, listen, we're all someone's daughter. (laughs) He's got a bit of a habit of saying, nah, this will be the end, this will be the end, and then Mm -hmm. uh, kicking on a little bit. So maybe that was happening with his set time. It is a great Australian tradition. Uh, Dame Nellie Melba was famous for her comebacks and her farewell tours. So, yeah, John... uh, Whispering Jack, as I like to call him, <laughs> uh, has had many uh, farewell tours. He has. So he we've got to, we fall in right behind him when the, it's an international incident of I like, that nature. Uh, Glenn, you know Glenn Wheatley? Mm, I he, do. He's John Farnham's longtime manager. Former prison inmate. He, uh, he had these claims put to him that Stevie Nicks demanded John be sacked. And he says, John's never been sacked in his life. He's far too professional. All he did was go on stage every night and blow Stevie off the stage and she couldn't cope. She was too busy in her coven with black drapes, lit candles, Ouija boards and whatever else. (laughs) Well, there it is. The big boom. (laughs) And that's exactly what it would have been. If there's a a showbiz spat, it's about you are taking my limelight. It might be a little bit about set times, but more like... I can't follow that. I read Stevie's reaction, Moon Man, and I'm just thinking, what about the age of reason? <laughs> I love the coven with the Ouija boards <laughs> and the candles. Mate, uh, don't mess with Johnny and Glenn. They've got a country behind them, I think. <laughs> yeah. Drapes and candles, never a good mix. That's it. And when you get up on stage, you just want to sing forever. I mean, after all, that's freedom. You you are great. <laughs> I'm just reading down the list of John Farnham's best. I don't know whether you remember yeah. from uh, Summer Breakfast last year, Seb, but we do like a sing, yeah. you and I. Yeah, we do. Yeah. We do like a we're sing. We're not so good we're, at it. No, we're not good at it. <laughs> we're like a couple of blokes who have been told to finish up uh, no more orders, Yep. last orders, but we love a sing. Yeah, so we, good on you. So Farnsy uh, is still going around though, isn't he? Yeah, he's there coming some, back. He's doing some shows on the Mornington Peninsula over summer. Mm. And there was some cruel memes likening uh, <laughs> the debate between Donald Trump and Hillary Clinton uh, to a, a John Farnham and Olivia Newton-John reunion. We've got to get Very that up on, uh, at MMM Hot Breakfast. Somebody <laughs> has picked the perfect frame where Trump is sort of leaning down Farnham style, Hillary's kicking her head back, and the caption is, this is the worst John Farnham-Olivia Newton-John reunion of all time. <laughs> it's a beautiful moment. It is. Nick Kyrgios has tanked again. He's lost at the Shanghai Masters 6-3-6-1 to a 110th ranked qualifier of Germany. Mm. He was even told by the umpire, you can't play like that, Nick. After, during the <laughs> opening set, he lobbed a soft serve into play and then turned around and began walking to his chair before his opponent had even had a chance to hit it back. And what seems to be the issue with Nick Kyrgios? Uh, he wasn't uh, feeling night. it. He was arguing with fans. He says he was frustrated. In fact, he even admits that he was taking the easy way out. It's your choice. You want to buy a ticket, come watch me. You know what? I'm unpredictable. It's your choice. 
I don't know here anything. Physically tired, mentally tired, and I guess, you know, that's what I'm, I'm trying to work on, bringing, being able to be consistent every week, and I guess that's what's holding me back, you know, and just took the easy way out tonight. He hasn't got his head in the right place, has he? Uh, he's flighty, curious. I mean, at the top of his game, he's a great tennis player. Um, I think he's good for the game. I'm going to go out on a limb and say even this, when he decides to do a dummy spit, I mean, it's got to finish sooner or later. Um, and he's got to knuckle down. But, I mean, you know, he is unpredictable. Hopefully he can realise his potential so he just doesn't drift off and become another tennis stat. Yeah, but, but I mean, me and you are both people who like characters and like entertainers hmm. in sport, you know, the sort of histrionics of BT and Mark Jackson in 80s football. There's always a bit of fun to joke about. But are you actually buying a ticket to see Nick Kyrgios when he's fighting with fans and you know, uh, throwing serves and whinging about when can he go home? I mean, is that entertainment or is no, that just bringing the game down? It's not. Uh, you want to see him, if he's going to, you know, do some histrionics, maybe, you know, smash a tennis racket, scream at a lines person, um, give somebody in the crowd some advice, but a little dolly serve and then spitting the dummy and walking off probably isn't great stuff. It's, Mind you, yeah. We wouldn't be talking about the Shanghai Masters if he hadn't done this. Because well, the Shanghai Masters isn't exactly on our you know, tennis radar, is it? Not, not as a competition, but for the fans it is. Because I was reading about how this is the time of year when the tennis players go on a swing through Asia. So there's a number of tournaments, one of which being the Shanghai Masters. A swing Masters. through Asia yeah. is something very different where I come from. <laughs> and apparently it's become a tradition in tennis for the fans of Asia, because you know, particularly some of them are yep. really passionate, to give the players gifts. And so there was an article about this uh, in the Wall Street Journal. So, for example, Andy Murray was once given tandem angry bird outfits by fans in Shanghai that were to go on his two pet, pet dogs, his border terriers. Anna Ivanovic was given candy-coated chocolate with pictures of her on it. But I think the strangest one was given to Bob Bryan, who's the American double specialist. Him and his brother have won over 100 doubles titles around the world. Yeah, talk them up. And he was given small spongy dolls mm -hmm. depicting his wife and children from a fan who had lifted their likeness off his Instagram account and then taken them to a 3D printer mm. and had them replicated. I have had something similar from a fan and that was a, a crocheted likeness of myself. And the idea that this crocheted likeness of myself was made with a crochet hook a hook just punching in and out of the doll. It's like, mm, thanks. <laughs> was it back away slowly? Was it Stevie Nicks with her dark curtains and Ouija boards <laughs> making a Lawrence Mooney voodoo doll? I turned to Stevie and I said, "You can go your own way." There might be. Isn't there life on Mars? Isn't there tiny microbe water-producing life on Mars? No, I don't know, Dr. Mooney, but I do know that the President of the United States, as it stands at the moment, he's got about a month to go, uh, did an uh, editorial for CNN yesterday, and mm. in it he says, we, being the United States, have set a clear goal vital to the next chapter of America's story in space. Sending humans to Mars by the 2030s and returning them safely to Earth with the ultimate ambition to one day remain there for an extended time. There's already 100 astronaut candidates training to go to Mars, 10 of which will be selected. How do you train um, to go to Mars? 
Well, basically, it's all about, I guess, mental and physical endurance is how you're trying to go to Mars. <laughs> Against burning hot sulfur and unlivable no. surface conditions. No, they just lock you in a, <laughs> a rarefied atmosphere and see whether you turn on the other nine. <laughs> Would you it's like want... a very, it's a highly sophisticated big brother. Because <laughs> what that's what happens when you get sent 10 people into space. Oh, it's gone wrong. One of them's a psychopath. You go, well, you're going to have to send the police out there. That's going to take 13 light years to get there. It's time to go to Pluto. Lawrence. <laughs> Would you want to go to Mars? No. because I Because you say goodbye to, effectively, you are... Never going to see your loved ones again, especially the first mission to Mars. Well, Barack Obama wants to return them safely to Earth. That's part of yes. his plan. So you do get home. But the first pilgrimage to Mars will be a one-way ticket. And no you know return. That? Because that's what they're saying. <laughs> if, I, I'm not going to argue with the scientists at NASA, okay? Okay. No, I'm not getting in a stash with them. It would be a pretty cool thing to do, though. You go down in history, Neil Armstrong style, as the first okay. human to step onto Mars. Well, now that you're talking about being famous forever yeah. and a bit of limelight, yeah. I'm in. Yeah. So, what would you do if you were if you uh, were the Neil Armstrong? All right, Barack Obama has said, Lawrence, I'm putting you on this plane. I'm sending you to Mars, mm. and you are going to be the first one to walk down the stairs and plant your foot okay. firmly on the red surface. What would be the first, first all, thing? What What would you do? Would you, would you say well, something? I don't think you're committing to your Barack Obama impersonation, but more of that later, um, <laughs> for fear of being racist or... Um, I would probably ape Neil Armstrong. I'd go down the stairs. I'd, I'd imitate Neil Armstrong. Imitate. I'd paraphrase him. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So I'd, uh, I'd say, you know, this is one small step for man, one giant leap for mankind. Couldn't you... Uh, that, how is that paraphrasing? You've just ripped well, him off. Okay, well, I, I'd, I'd actually say it the correct way, like Neil was meant to, but he dropped uh, a man. Wouldn't so I'd say with... this is one small step for a man, yep. one giant leap for mankind. How about back in 69, the world watched the moon, now they're watching the moony. <laughs> or what about just coming down the stairs and just going, come on, the bomb! <laughs> come on! One triple three five three. Would you want to go to Mars? Barack Obama wants to send people to Mars. Is there anyone out there in Melbourne who's putting their hand up? I want to know. One triple three five three. Hyphen who pushes the buttons for our program and looks after the Twitter account. Have we got a few nominees to send to Mars? Well, yes, we do. We've got a couple of tweets here. Josh is asking if he could put his boss on a one-way trip to Mars. <laughs> hard time We've work. all thought about it. And my favourite is Stanks. Nick Kyrgios is a good candidate to Mars. <laughs> the lack of oxygen might make him smarter. <laughs> a lot of people have been uh, hitting us up, so, <laughs> ringing in, and we can't put them to air, no. suggesting they could put their partner on <laughs> yes. the ship to Mars to escape their dysfunctional relationships. Not a lot of people have faith in the fact that you would survive if you were sent to Mars. There seems to be a lot of people using it as a way to off somebody. Right. <laughs> And that's where it will. That's where it'll all end up. But you, there'll be, yeah. you know, there'll be shallow graves on Mars. <laughs> that news: Sam Mitchell was heading west. Blindsided us a bit yesterday. It was big news uh, out of trade talks, and the uh, the Sam Mitchell Tom Mitchell swap went very well for Hawthorne yesterday. That has been completed. Unbelievable. So Tom Mitchell, the Sydney Swan, who was one of their best on grand final day. If you watch that grand final, he was keen to leave no potential for people to say, oh, well, he'd given up. 
He wanted his last game in red and white to be a premiership. He comes down to Hawthorne for a first round pick, which is currently pick 14. And Meanwhile, classic in that kind of Hawthorne mode or, or model of very tough, mm. hard at the ball, hard tackling. Um, I could see him in a Hawthorne Guernsey, no problem. Go nicely into that Hawthorne engine room. Meanwhile, Sam Mitchell and the West Coast Eagles, as we mentioned before, that's still got to work out exactly how it's going to go. But we expect that it'll actually be a pretty late draft pick from the West Coast Eagles to get a player the calibre of Mitchell, but that he also may have to look at a little bit of a haircut. Here is his manager, Peter Lenton. Obviously, the clubs will meet and work through it. And look, I know there's a commitment to do it. So they will they will strike um, a happy medium somewhere. Look, I don't think it's going to be terribly flat flattering to Sam, you know, yeah. what he might be um, traded at for. What? But he's 34. Yeah. Yeah. You know, so I think you've really got to put that in perspective. West Coast are looking at him as a player for a year. I think that it's still... As a sports romantic, it's hard to swallow a five-times crewman medalist, uh, captain, premiership player, uh, one of the greats of Hawthorne. Uh, yeah, just play out your days at West Coast. And, of course, there's going to be a coaching package on the back of that when he finishes playing. Yeah, so Peter Lenton I find, oh, Yeah, yep. I just I, I think that the whole thing just oh, it's taking the whole game into a new realm, into a very mercantile kind of a realm, all about... Money and winning, and I might sound quite naive. Yeah, good on you, Pollyanna. People don't stay at the same club forever, but I don't know. I just find it a little bit distasteful, if you will. Yeah. A new era indeed. Lenton there talking about the fact that the trade for Mitchell wasn't going to be quite flattering, not to necessarily change his contract. That'll stay as it was, as per the trade. But uh, something that was pretty uplifting yesterday was the women's draft. It was great. And I, uh, I watched a little bit of the draft and then the images that came out afterwards where those young women, uh, you know, they've been validated with the beginning of their own AFL league at the top level. They all looked like they knew they were the beginning of something big. And uh, I think it's going to be a competition that grows. And I felt this surge of emotion watching those young women uh Looking towards the future, uh, it was very heartening. I think it's a great thing for the game, and um, I think that, that people will be surprised at how much of a following it gets. It was pretty exciting. I, I went along. It was in the NAB building, which uh, is just up from Etihad Stadium, and mm. it was set up nicely. Ange Pippos did a great job emceeing it, and it was just some of the natural joy that you couldn't help but smile back at these girls after learning that they get a chance to play in an AFL-backed competition, uh, particularly the smile on the face of... Uh, Ebony Marinoff, who was the Adelaide Crows, she was great. And then there was Jamie Lambert, who was taken as the Western Bulldogs' number one pick at number five. And she was almost lost for words. She was that sort of moved by the fact she was going to get this opportunity. So inside uh, the NAB building where the draft happened, were there family and friends with these young women? There were. And there was also just a lot of players. I mean, the first round was the one that was paid a lot of attention to and was broadcast and what have you. But the full draft was done. And it was sort of like, you know, this, this big club of, of girls who have played together and against each other, but are still tremendously supportive of what they're doing as a collective group of athletes. So you know, there's a lot of love, a lot of positivity, uh, and we'll be uh, having a chance to talk to some of the high women's draft picks a bit later in the show. Elise O'Day from the Demons is going to have a chat to us, and Nicola Barr, who was the number one draft pick in the first ever women's draft. You're not the only investigative journalist on this team. I am digging down deep on the fact that you lost your keys and then you found them on a nudist beach. A nudist beach that we had been alerted to by a listener of our, our breakfast show uh, who said that Campbell Cove 
is a nudist beach. And all of a sudden, you're down there losing your car keys. You don't know anything about investigative journalism. Were you on a nudist beach? Investigative journalism is about reporting the facts, not sensationalising things like you (laughs) are doing. You were on a nudist beach. You just stand there were, carrying on like Were you, know, you or were you not? Just, just answer Lawrence, the question. Lawrence, you've got to get the story right if you're going to be a journalist. You can't just go out there and right. you know, throw these sort of pieces of mud at a wall. Give us your version of events. <laughs> Sleazy Seb Costello. <laughs> <laughs> Until Excuse further notice. you. Oh, well, <laughs> Campbell's Cove mm. down in Werribee. Was Victoria's first ever nudist beach, and they are now looking at redoing it and turning it into a Gold Coast style set of high rise accommodation with a potential theme park. Would you agree that's newsworthy, Mr. Investigative Journalist? Sure. Is it still a nudist beach? (laughs) I actually don't think it is. The state government has changed it, so you have to put clothes on. And I went down there earlier in the week to do that story wearing a beautiful navy blue suit with a a nice tartan sort of tie and some uh, very nice brown shoes with a buckle. Lots of clothes, Moon Man. No nudity here. Okay, so why do your keys end up in some undergrowth lost? No, well, the way you tell the story, it sounds like somebody's put their hat down and everybody's come out of the bushes and thrown their car keys in a a fishbowl or something. I didn't say that, but that's the picture that you're clearly painting. (laughs) You are driving towards that. No, I was doing what we call a piece to camera. Mm. So that's the bit in the news story where the journalist, which you should know being an investigative journalist, actually- You walk and talk, You walk and talk. It's the bit where you're actually on camera giving a bit of detail in the story. Got it. And so I was doing a walk down the beach to say- Pants on, allegedly. I was doing a walk down the beach and I put down my car keys in the sand as a marker of where I needed to stop so the camera could get me in position. You threw down? Yes. I popped them down in the sand Mm -hmm. as a marker and then went back, took a couple of strides back and then stood- Moved forward and delivered. And then a massive storm came through Campbell's Cove. Hold on. Are we talking about the kind of weather event where people's clothes might get blown (laughs) off in a maelstrom? Or where you can't remember quite what happened after this point? You just want to beat this up. You you want to (laughs) talk about... No, it was a decent storm. The water came down and so me and my cameraman, Peter... Quickly picked up all the expensive electronic gear and hot-footed it back to the car. So you continue shooting inside a van somewhere down at Campbell's Cove. Stop it. Stop it. Okay? (laughs) And then we got a call. So it's it's two men in a van. Okay. Mm. With a camera. You're done? Yep. You're done? I've got clothes on. Peter has clothes on. The camera is off. (laughs) Yep. (laughs) Okay, and then we forgot that uh, the keys were still lying on the sand. We got a call from the chief of staff who said, you need to come back to Melbourne. So off we drove. And then I got back to Docklands, which is a good 45 minutes away from Campbell's Cove, and Mm. went to get to my keys so I could get some books out of the car and thought, oh "Oh dear. I've left my keys at the key party. There was no key party. There was nothing being swapped except exclusive information. There's a lot of 
you know, weird variables in this, isn't it? We were doing this thing on the beach and then there was a storm and then we're in a van and then we get called back and oh, I'm not too clear about what exactly went on. The only nudity here is me reporting the naked truth to the viewers of Melbourne, Moonman. So how were your keys returned to you? Well, this is a part, this is a good part of the story. So for all your grubbiness, it was actually worth talking about this for this reason. A guy I met down there on the beach by the name of Bruce was an incredible... A guy I met on the beach. Hold on. This is new. This is news. Uh, no, Bruce was a really, really Bruce. nice man. He was down there with his fishing rods and he... I, I met a guy called Bruce on the... He had a rod. Uh, yep, go on. You this are is a, great. You are a shocker. And I had Bruce's number. I rang Bruce and he was... He, was, <laughs> he had got his number. I Facts coming to life. I give up. He was kind enough. I rang Bruce. He said, I'll go have a look out on the beach. He went out. He dug through the sand. He found the keys. Not only did he find my keys, but he was willing to drive into the city from Werribee and drop them off to me. So decent people still exist despite what you're trying to pull this morning. Thank you, Bruce. Unbelievable. Oh, that is... Okay, folks, you can make up your own minds. There's all the facts. <laughs> You're a shocker. Seb met a guy called Bruce, who he's seeing occasionally. No, we, this, this segment is over. Seb, uh, one of our listeners has said that um, Bruce the fisherman may have had a rod in his hand, but he also may have had his tackle out down at uh, Campbell Cove. So we're, yeah. we're, going, we're digging deeper on this. We're not leaving it alone. <laughs> Hey, we're not oh, we're not judging the, we're not judging you. Coming, funny man. <laughs> Your, yours and Bruce's love is real and that's okay. <laughs> the back page of the Herald Sun today reads Damien Oliver's spring cast into chaos. And the story is that Damien Oliver has been found guilty of reckless riding and will miss 20 meetings unless that suspension is appealed. For more information, we go to a man who is very busy at this time of year as we head towards the Spring and Melbourne Cup Carnival. Good morning, Andrew Bensley. Yeah, good morning to you, Seb Lawrence, and everyone listening. Thanks. Yeah, there's always a big story with a jockey and a suspension at this time of the year, guys. So what did uh, Ollie actually do in the race that could cost him 20 meetings? Well, he was on a, on the favourite in the big race yesterday called Flying Artie. He was back to the inside and in evidence that was given yesterday, said basically Damien felt that he needed, uh, he was being boxed in by a couple of stablemate horses, that he needed some clear running at that stage of the race. And uh, the vision tells the story that he certainly veers out. It's whether uh, you believe Damien that it uh, wasn't reckless or whether you believe the stewards that it was. It's, uh, it's a very unusual charge. We don't see a lot of jockeys charged with reckless riding. It's normally careless riding um, and they you know they certainly cop maybe a week suspension depending on what sort of uh, interference that uh, happens in that race but reckless is certainly more severe on the higher mm. level uh, for a jockey being suspended. Ben, is there a, an accrual of points similar to the AFL system uh, you know for past misdeeds? No there's not Lawrence it's it's really comes down to each individual case and uh, the stewards were very much on the front foot. Dean Yendel who rode the horse that was badly affected yesterday by the move from Damien. Uh, he um, shook his head in the stewards' room there yesterday when he went back into the, the stewards' room after the race, and he just, uh, obviously, the, the movement of the head, uh, he was bemused by the suddenness of it. So, look, I think that Damien uh, will definitely be lodging an appeal. He's obviously wants to come back 
Um, definitely for Derby Day, which is three days before the suspension finishes at the moment, or two days before. So it's a case of when this appeal is heard and when, uh, when and if he can get some days taken off it. We're talking to Andrew Bensley from Sky Sports Radio about a 20-meeting ban for Damien Oliver following a reckless riding charge. And, Bens, just before we let you go, you mentioned Derby Day. What are the big race days that Ollie would likely miss this spring if that isn't overturned? Well, if it's not overturned and the appeal hearing's probably going to be heard early part, maybe Monday or Tuesday of next week at this stage, that's the suggestions. At this moment, he misses the Geelong Cup next Wednesday. He misses uh, the two days at uh, Mooney Valley, the Cox Plate Day and the Friday night, the Manicato meeting. And then the following meet, uh, he meet, misses another Country Cup and Derby Day, which is regarded as the most prestigious race day in Australia, Derby Day. And the amount of money that a, a, a jockey like Damien Oliver could earn uh, is very, very substantial if he's on the right horse, obviously. So it's severe, but many people would suggest the interference yesterday was very severe as well. If you want to know racing, Andrew Bensley is the man. Thanks, Benz. Thanks, Seb. We're going to raise the standard of conversation in this studio, Lawrence Mooney, because joining us is the number eight draft pick from the women's draft. She is going to play for the Melbourne Football Club in the upcoming women's league. Good morning, Elisa Day. Yeah, g'day. How are you going? Now, I heard yesterday a bit of your story. You're a Canberra girl. Yep. And you moved down to Victoria to play footy. Did you ever think it would work out this good? Um, I dreamed but no, <laughs> and hoped, yeah, but oh, I n- never thought it'd become a reality. So yesterday was pretty exciting, that's for sure. It was a Elise, you go, looking, looking at uh, that group of women who were drafted yesterday, and there's a, a beautiful picture in most papers today of you all, was there a real sense that this was the start of something massive? Yeah, that's it. It, it, it. Yesterday didn't mark the end of anything of any of our journeys. It it marked the start. It's it's all on from here. Like we we all can't just can't wait to get started and start training and just play football. Get all this stuff out of the road. Yeah, and of course they put the rest of the team together. So uh, over the desk here, Tim or the hyphen who pushes the buttons is a big <laughs> demon man. How has the demon side come together? Yeah, we look pretty good. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, look, I'm sure all sides say that because it was such a like a great pool of talent. So I'm sure any players we got. But I was looking at them yesterday, and I just thought we've got a bit of youth, bit of speed, bit of height, bit of everything. And so, oh, look, I just can't wait to get down to training and start having a kick with some of these girls. Like some of them, I've never played with either. So I'm really looking forward to it. I can't wait. And you're a midfielder. Yeah, midfielder with a forward rotation, but really I'll just play anywhere they need me. Mm-hmm. And right. uh, so who do you base your game on? If people have never seen Aliso Day play footy before, what <laughs> should they picture in their heads? <laughs> well, I'd like to say I can, I'm an endurance runner. So picture Ben Cousins running. <laughs> that, that's me <laughs> yes. running. Um, not incredibly fast or incredibly aerial, but um, yeah, good skills and I, I can get my own footy. That's what we like to hear. Yeah. A few Demons fans will be happy to hear that moon, man. Elise, a couple of St Kilda fans out there will be noticing your surname, O'Day. Not a common one. Have you got football heritage in your family? Any relation to Jimmy O'Day? Um, I think I've got a bit of football heritage. Way back, I think I've got a few on my my dad's side, a few people that played um, in the AFL or maybe before the war or something like that. But I, um, yeah, not recently. Like dad, I think he stopped playing at his under-18s. So <laughs> I think he was a better coach. Do you wind and, him up a bit about yeah. that? Look at me. Yeah. I'm, I'm a professional now, Dad. He didn't make it. it out the 18th. <laughs> no, he's super proud. Yeah. So, yeah. Well, they actually, we're talking to Elise Day, who is a top draft pick for the Demons in the upcoming Women's AFL League. And you, you we said before you moved to Canberra to, 
moved from Canberra to Melbourne to play footy and your family have followed you down. Is that right? Yeah, that's it. So I moved down, moved in with my sister, older sister who was already here. And then mum, she got relocated for work and was only meant to be temporary. But when my younger sister came down as well, then mum and dad had no other choice but to sort of sell up <laughs> and then buy here. So the whole so, family's yeah. riding on your coattails. <laughs> yeah. You've become a big sporting <laughs> star and now they all want a piece of That's it. That's it, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Who are the other players to watch in the women's league? Oh, well, of course, already all the marquee players there. The, the Daisy Pierce, Mel Hickey, anyone from mm. Melbourne. Um, you've got Mo Hope and Katie Brennan, um, but you've also got, there's uh, Rochelle Cranston and um, who's also got picked up for Melbourne, but then Doggies have picked up some great players like Astro O'Connor and Kate Tyndall. So it's, it's pretty exciting. It's looking good. So what age were you, Elise, when you first picked up a footy, put it to the boot? Uh, that's sometime in the backyard. I think as soon as, as I could stand, um, I was out there kicking a footy. I think probably, I don't know, when do you start walking? Probably five, maybe. Right. <laughs> yeah. And there was that immediate love and connection with the game. Yeah, you well, just wanted it. Yeah, well, I'm a long-time Melbourne supporter, but one thing Dad taught us all um, just growing up is just to love football and, and love the game. And so I, I I watched every game every weekend and tried to emulate right. all the players and just, you know, pretend I was the hero out in the backyard. And, you know, so, yeah. And as a young girl growing up, uh, watching your heroes that all happened to be men, was there some kind of disconnect in your head going, hold on, where's my spot in this game? Uh, well, I think I was too young to realise that that wasn't, you know, a possibility to play with the men. So mm. I just always, I could pretend I was Aaron Davey doing those, you know, daisy cutter kicks in the backyard <laughs> and going one too far and the ball going over the fence. But, you know, I never really thought that, uh, you know, I couldn't do it. And so I think having that ignorance and just sticking with it now, you know, I'm here and it, yeah, it's pretty unbelievable. And it's happening. Yeah. Looking yeah, out into the Triple times. M green room uh, this morning, Elise, there is the great Jimmy Bartell, who's just warming up for an interview a bit later. <laughs> if we dropped a footy between the two of you, one-on-one contest, do you reckon you could take him? I'll give it my best shot. <laughs> <laughs> I reckon I'd almost have my money on, Elise. Thanks for coming in. It's been great chatting with no you. Worries. We're all thrilled to watch this league develop, and it's off the back of people like you who love the game and have such a sunny demeanour about you. So good luck with it. Oh, good on you guys. Thanks. Jimmy Bartell's in the studio. Morning, mate. Morning, guys. How are you? Mate, uh, the beard is gone, and I've been meaning to ask this all year. When we saw you running around, it at times looked like you had a three-kilo weight hanging around <laughs> your neck. Was it hard to play with all that hair? Nah, not really. Um, I guess when it rained, it probably got even waterlogged and a little bit heavier, so it probably went up to about five kilos, um, whereas a lot of my mates uh, like to remind me, geez, you look old with that. So um, I guess I You was look quite... biblical. Yes. You look yeah. like Moses. I thought yeah, he cause... was a member of the Kelly gang, you know, sort of running oh, yeah. out of Glen Rowan and had a bush ranger sort of feel to it. But of course, uh, I had to deal with it all day, every day, and you, you sort of... You get used to it. You don't notice it after a while unless you go eat some dinner and it's still in your beard. Yeah. <laughs> I've got to say, it was very lustrous too uh, in terms of beard uh, man- maintenance. Were you conditioning? Uh, yeah, I, I had the occasional shower. Um, <laughs> I, I used to run the shampoo in it and uh, fluff it up a little bit. Yeah, so yeah. I guess it was so thick. There was a bit of grey and white in there too, which was, uh, I don't know whether to be concerned already, going grey. If you let it go, do you reckon you could go full rip? Van Winkle down to the waist? Uh, yeah, I don't know. Well, the funny thing is... Uh, you do grow hair quite successfully. Yes. Yeah, it is a strength of mine. And, uh, <laughs> that, that was part of the plan. But I found out while I was growing the beard, you know, learn a lesson that you actually have an end point to your beard. Everyone's got an end do point. That. So right. it might be, you know, to your sternum or to your shoulders for some <laughs> people, but... Uh, yeah, the hair starts falling out. Isn't it interesting? Go. Lesson learned. That's it. Yeah. It's, it's a, a follicle action. Yeah. Uh, you've had an esteemed career. 
you've played so much great football. Everyone just wants to talk about your beard. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, it probably takes the focus off how slow I am on the field or it might actually in, enhance how slow I am. <laughs> and, mate, um, it was all obviously for the face-up to DV campaign, which at the very start of the year you, you told what was a really personal story and touched a hell of a lot of people and got some really good attention to what is an important cause. Did it get even bigger than you thought it would? Yeah, I I guess it was always uh, twofold. It was also... Uh, you know, to raise funds for two um, amazing foundations who were, you know, sadly overworked. Um, but also it was to start conversations because I, I felt like this issue, um, it was far too prevalent in our society, but it was always buried and it was always uh, the not spoken thing amongst family, friends and, and things like that. So I mm. thought if I could start the conversation with people in, in such, you know, something as visual as my beard and hair growing long, well then... People could address it or bring it up in whatever way felt comfortable. And you're right, the way the way the year went along, I was surprised how much momentum and how many people were either coming up to me and saying, "Look, it's worked. I've, I've had the conversation with my kids or my mates or you know my mum and dad." And you can still get behind that campaign at www.bendigobank.com.au/faceup2dv. One of the more adorable moments, though, came with your little boy. There was an Instagram video where, what's his, Aston, is it? Yeah, Aston. How old's he now? He's 10 months. And you picked him up, you filmed it, the beard's gone, and did he know who was holding him? No, he, lo- <laughs> he looked pretty concerned. Yeah, um, had a, a deep frown. Um, he, was, he kept looking back at his mother going, uh, yeah, who's this weirdo? <laughs> uh, his, his voice sounds familiar, and I'm looking at him in the eyes, and I think I know him, but he kept trying to reach out and grab where my beard was and he'd, he'd get a little bit reluctant to, to touch my face and he's a little bit concerned. <laughs> yeah. yeah, It, it was very cute. It was a huge contrast though from the, uh, the bearded Jimmy Bartell to the clean shaven. Uh, season over, what now? Uh, Jimmy, how do you spend that, the summer months? Um, well, after you put the feet up for a couple of weeks and enjoy a few too many beers that you've uh, mm. missed out on during the year, uh, I guess you get back into getting fit again. Uh, we get mm. handed training programs, so that, that's the life of footy. You're sort of training all year round. Um, wedding season starts for yes. a lot of people, so a few weddings to get to, enjoy the races and uh, a fair bit of downtime just in, enjoying the family. You went to Stevie J's Bucks recently. Yes, along with another Triple M friend or uh, host of yours, Billy Brownless. Big Bill, was he best on? He self-proclaimed best on, yeah. yeah, yeah. Gave himself the three, two, and one. Now, Moon Man's gone very... the uh, the mature mentoring, nurturing. Yeah, yeah certainly mentoring. Yeah. Setting an example. Yeah. We're talking to Jimmy Bartell in studio, and Moon Man's gone in rather gently. I'm going to put my journalist hat on oh, and yep. go in really hard. But you don't have the suit on. So no, no, it's no. a bit unusual. Are you going to play AFL football next year? Uh, look, not sure yet. Still um, working through some stuff with the club. Jesus sounds nice in general. I've put my footy mode back on now. <laughs> yeah, that's yeah. It. Yeah. One week at a time. Yeah, flat bat through the V. Um, no, uh, just just working working it all out with the club. I have a couple of conversations and that to go. So, yeah, no answers. It's completely your call, isn't it? I mean, the way it's all worked out. You know, this. Yeah, uh, I was having it? trouble with the tents. Have had, have, am having. You know, where yeah. are you? Tell yeah, well, truth. continuous conversations. So I'm in the middle of them. So I, I have and I had. You're right. Uh, um, so yeah, it it is my call because I've got a got a contract, but also um, I'm aware of you know clubs like to go in different directions at different times, or they have got plans, or I just want to see uh, whether I'm I'm in those, whether um, I'm still part of their their best twenty two. Uh, yeah, all sorts of things have got to go on, and um, you know trade week's pretty big, so it depends who you bring in and all that sort of stuff. 
Mm. And there's some big names who have been linked to Geelong. I mean, Deledio would be an interesting addition, uh, potentially seeing a Josh Caddy go to Richmond. Do you follow the trade trackers as they go around? I do actually enjoy it. Um, I'm a big American sports fan, and, and that's you know something pretty natural with all their sports. But you know, I do enjoy it. I, I, I think like everyone, they try and play football manager at home and they try and move the pieces, you know, what they like yep. for their team. But everyone at their own club wants to give up nothing to get everything <laughs> yeah, and yeah, don't, don't realise there's a salary cap. So it's a, it's a pretty pretty difficult game to do. Oh, well, mate, did well done. Yeah. Did yesterday's news that Sam Mitchell's going to the West surprise you? It did it at first when obviously the headline, you know, straight away, Mitchell to the Eagles. And you go, hang on, what's going on there? And then you realise it's it seems like a win for every party. Um, yeah. You know, the Eagles get... An unbelievable player, one of the best of the modern era and one of the best of Hawthorne all the time. But they also get his IP. They they get to drain him and what's made the Hawks so good. Um, a senior player for them. Also, the Hawks free up cap space. But also for Sam Mitchell, um, it's been pretty well noted. He wants to be a, a senior coach or a senior figure in a footy club and he gets to expand his knowledge. Well, mate, well done to everything you've achieved uh, this year, particularly with the Face Up to DV campaign that uh, people are getting behind. An important cause indeed, and we look forward to seeing the next step, whatever it is for you. Jimmy Bartell, good to see you. Thanks, guys. One of the more confronting, uncomfortable stories that we're working through at the moment is Gable Tosti and uh, Warriana Wright, who is the young woman who fell off a balcony after those two uh, came together on the dating app Tinder. Mm. Uh, this happened back in uh, August the 8th, 2014. What's happening here because of Tinder, a lot of the evidence being presented in court has a very salacious edge to it. And everyone's talking about this, about whether did he or didn't he. And uh, there's, you know, jurisprudence here, so we don't want to talk about what we think No, but it's been working its way through the Supreme Court, hasn't it? It's, uh, so it happens up on the Gold Coast, as you say, 2004. Gable Tosti's uh, now a 30-year-old carpet layer, who uses Tinder to connect with Wariena Wright, who was a Kiwi tourist who'd come mm. to the Gold Coast. They swap messages. They eventually meet up uh, about a week after they first got together uh, using the t- the Tinder app. She came up to his apartment, his Gold Coast high-rise. One thing led to the other, and then uh, she found herself uh, deceased at the bottom of his Gold Coast apartment complex. And that what happened in that apartment is now working its way through the courts. And uh, probably the thing that is, you know, piquing my interest in this is the the kind of frequency of women falling to their deaths now, probably because, you know, there's a lot more apartment buildings and incidents are going to happen. But it's also, I find it quite disturbing that young women are, are, you know, dropping to their deaths in inverted commas. Um, There was a famous case in in Sydney where uh, I think Simon Jatani appealed against his sentence and uh, that has recently been upheld. He was convicted of throwing his girlfriend off the balcony. Uh, there's the, the story of Phoebe, the woman that uh, fell to her death down the rubbish chute in Melbourne. And uh, I just think the incidents of it are quite significant to have a look at. This story, of course, has all the, like I said, salacious elements of Tinder because we're all a bit surprised at how quickly the union took place in a bar, off to a bottle shop and then into the apartment for And that's the unfair thing. I I feel deeply for this woman's family and all this because, okay, you've got to get to the bottom of what happened and everyone wants justice, but in the way that the justice and the situation is investigated and discussed by the courts, 
Now, the last moments of her life, every intimate moment she had in that room is on audio recording. That becomes public. Now today, the you know the flirtatious Tinder messages that these two were flicking back and forth before they actually met up on uh, Cavill Avenue in the Gold Coast, that's now been published. And this is sort of personal stuff that none of us would want published. Deeply personal. Especially, you know, now that in the context of now that she's dead, uh, it just, that part of this trial is unfair to me As anyway. A- as a parent, I completely agree with you because it's not a fitting signature to the end of anybody's life. Uh, we're all incredibly vulnerable and foolish in those intimate moments. You say silly things and for it to be, you know, in every paper across the nation, for it to mark the end of your life, there's an injustice in that, yeah. I think. And it's, it's sad and it's very disturbing. And, you know, you read some of the stuff that this Gable Tosti guy was sending her. And, look, I don't know the context of it all, so I don't want to judge him. That's the court's job to decide what actually went on and and who's responsible for it. But, you know, in this exchange, it took him five messages to this woman to ask, can you be a freak in the sheets? Yep, and I don't want to lay any judgment on that either. You know, young people are young people, and we've got instincts and desires and wants that need to be satisfied. And however you go about, you know, you're flirting or you're picking up, good luck to you. Mm. The sad thing is that it's ended in death. And whether that uh, was murder or drugs and alcohol or however that is, we'll, we'll find out. But um, I'm fascinated by it. Earlier, we spoke to Elise O'Day, who had been selected by the Melbourne Footy Club as part of the inaugural women's draft for the upcoming AFL competition. She went number eight. The young woman who went number one in the first ever women's draft, setting a fair slice of history, was Nicola Barr to the GWS, and she joins us on the phone now. Morning, Nicola. Hi, guys. Thanks for having me. No, absolute pleasure to talk to you, and congratulations. The We talked about it before. The atmosphere in that room was tremendous, not just because you guys are getting a chance to live your dream, but because it was full of all the people that have helped drive women's football and make it successful, and it seemed like you all had a lot of love for each other. Did you feel that? Definitely. It was amazing to be there, and I, I honestly... There's no words to describe it. It was pretty incredible. I just can't believe it's happened. I woke up this morning thinking, oh, it actually wasn't a dream. It really happened. So, yeah, amazing. For a couple of jaded football hearts in this city, Nicola, um, this is like a very optimistic thing that's happening to the game. A lot of people are just thrilled. Now, you only came to the game four years ago and you've had, uh, you know, meteoric success. What was your background? Where did you come from to football? Um, I was sort of playing a lot of different sports growing up. I always loved running. Um, I was playing a fair bit of soccer and a little bit of netball here and there. And I sort of, yeah, was doing that all through until the end of year 10. And then I went along to a school team and it was really funny. We just got all of these girls together that had never played before but were good at other sports. And we went along to play in this game one day and we were all pretty terrible, but I just absolutely loved it. Yeah, I haven't looked back. And did you surprise yourself with your aptitude for the uh, the the national game? I think um, it took me a while to learn a little bit, but I think I just um, as soon as I started playing it, it's such a complete sport, and I think it mm. it took so many aspects of different sports that I've enjoyed over the years, and I just loved that about it that I could bring sort of all of those elements of different games that I've always loved to this one sport. In the November draft, the draft picks get a little whisper before they go up that they might be taken first or second. Was it a surprise to you yesterday? Um, It was was a bit of a surprise when it actually happened. Uh, I think, you know, people had said a little bit of stuff to me, but, you know, I was 
absolutely in shock when it all actually happened and you know, I couldn't be happier to go to be going to play for GWS. I think oh, they're a fantastic club. It's, yes, it's a good setup. It's a club on the rise, and mm-hmm. you saw how quickly the uh, the other side, the the GWS Giants, could get to a prelim final this year after just starting five seasons ago. Do you reckon your team is going to have that sort of success so quickly? I think we've got a fantastic coach and a great bunch of girls, and I think that they'll all gel really well. So, yeah, hopefully we do have the success that the men's team has, and I think if we work hard together, we definitely will. I've been reading a bit about you, Nicola, and you've got uh, a very kind of like tough approach to the game too. Give us a little bit of a, a uh, an insight into your philosophy on uh, on injury, because uh, you know there's the possibility of injury, but you you've got an attitude of one hundred percent in, one hundred percent out. Yeah, I think that's you know sort of the attitude I try to take into every training session and every game, and really to be honest, everything I do. I think if you do put a hundred percent into something, then you're going to come out a hundred percent, and I really. You know, I think if you're hesitant, then, you know, things may be more likely to happen. Obviously, things can happen anyway, but I think, yeah, I just try and go in 100%. And if I give it, give it my all, then, you know, I've got nothing to lose, really. And that is the attitude that is going to make this competition a success off the back. Like people like you, well done. Nicola Barr, the GWS number one pick in the inaugural women's draft. Thanks for having a chat to us. No worries. Thanks for having me. Nicola and Elise, two women's footballers we've spoken to this morning, Moon Man, have filled me up with optimism and positivity. Yeah, I'm, I'm full of it. And uh, there's a lot of emotion yesterday and I was swept away by it. So I can't wait for the season to start. You are a bit emotional at the moment, full stop though, aren't you? I am because uh, I, I've got longing in my heart, Seb. Your wife, uh, my, your child, my... they've gone overseas. Yep. In fact, I... Uh... I'm busy over the next few days, and so I had to farm the dog out yesterday as well <laughs> to a friend. So I am completely alone in this world. In fact, I might be so alone that I could go as far as to say, you're my only friend, Seb Costello. I'll always be here for you, mate. You and Bruce <laughs> are my only friends. <laughs> Ronda Rousey is a name that will always be linked with Melbourne, Moon Man, because yes, last November she, went down. she did. It was uh, the fight that shocked the world. She got knocked out in the UFC octagon in the middle of Etihad Stadium by Holly Holm. Well, the title has since bounced around a bit. Amanda Nunes won the bantamweight title recently, and we hadn't heard anything from Ronda until this morning. Ronda Rousey will return to the UFC on December the 30th in Las Vegas. Not just to an undercard, straight back into a bantamweight title shot against Amanda Nunes. I can tell you right now who's going to win that, and that is Ronda Rousey. It'd be a good story if she does. Because it's not how many times you get knocked down in this life. It's how many times you get back up. Yeah, give me some of that Balboa gold. Mm. And, uh... They can call you whatever they want to call you. But inside that ring, you're the champion, Ronda Rousey. There you go. I blame myself for that. I interviewed Ronda during that week, and her her team now thinks that she went a little bit Hollywood during fight week and wasn't focused Mm. come the event. Yeah, it'll be a media blackout when I uh, train Ronda Rousey for (laughs) December. (laughs) Completely. Not the likes of Seb Costello taking her mind off the job. What could go wrong with Mooney in your corner? Mm-hmm. You batting your eyelids at Ronda Rousey, that's the problem. She, yeah, we, oh, Ronda, I love you, Ronda. I yeah. did have a little gentle crush on Ronda. Lawrence's family has gone away. I made my family disappear. This is Moon Man's Home Alone Tales. Postcards, won't you send me?
So Lulu and Maggie departed for the Northern Hemisphere over a week ago now, uh, Tuesday last week. And so I have been home alone, as we all know. Um, yesterday I had to foster out Rupert, our Labradoodle cross with a spoodle. So that officially put a, a line under the fact that I am alone. And then uh, I FaceTimed with my lovely wife and uh, I said, you know, can you send me some photos of like, you know, where you're staying inside the house? And she said, well, you know, it's in Notting Hill. And I, I went, Notting Hill... I'd love to be there. And we talked about the movie Notting Hill and the Blue Door and Julia Roberts and Hugh Grant. Julia Julia Roberts Roberts plays a movie star who bumps into this foppish travel book owner. Mm. And what happens next is a beautiful love story. And I love a love story. I am a a, a hopeless romantic. I love a, a, a romantic movie. And so I was saying to Lou, remember that scene in the bookshop? We could, you know, go somewhere in Notting Hill and play that out. Where... So are you just doing total sort of fantasy to try and feel your woman's presence in your heart? Absolutely. And um, it was it was so nice. And absence, like I said before, does make the heart grow fonder. So we replayed this scene. Don't forget. I'm also just a girl. <laughs> standing in front of a boy. Asking him to love her. Now, I'm... So, hang just... on. Did you stand there and make Lulu say that back to you? <laughs> no, I said it to her. Oh, good. Okay. Remember, I'm just a girl standing in front of a boy asking him to love her. Seriously, I when I heard that just then and when I said it, I tear up at that scene. It's just so beautiful. I, I love that scene and it makes me... Chokes me up. Now, you're on Seb Costello. It's not the first time you've burst into tears looking at the computer sitting by yourself. <laughs> That's an entirely different thing. Shame is something very different to romance and love, my friend. Right. Okay. Okay. Thank Shame you. Shame and, and self disgust, they're different things. What movie makes you choke up, though? Oh, what well, scene? Can you call one to... question. It'd probably be a Rocky movie because you're all, you know, machismo <laughs> and masculine. And, uh, well, I don't want to show my true feelings. A few. I find that the older you get and the more people mean to you in your life, mm. the more you find yourselves feeling what the characters feel in movies. So I yes. tear up quite often. In fact, I went and saw a movie on the weekend, Deepwater Horizon. And that's a movie about a group of oil riggers who were uh, on the exploration uh, rig out in the Mexican Gulf uh, in 2010 Mm. when the oil rig blew up and caused what has become known as the BP oil disaster. And it was a story of how these mates who go to work in a really dangerous environment did everything they could out of pure love and brotherhood to try and save each other's lives. So it's like us on... Black Wednesday last year <laughs> at the Christmas party. I think we did everything we could to try and end each other's lives <laughs> on that day. But I was sitting there uh, in a theatre in Melbourne's East with my best mate, Matthew, and I was holding the popcorn box just up between our eye level oh. so he couldn't see the fact that I was tearing you up just snuffling. thinking what would happen if I was in a position where I had to save your life, Matty. Oh, you should have put the popcorn down and just reached out and squeezed him on the hand. <laughs> Said, love you, Maddie. So we want to know what movie scene is it that chokes you up? Yeah, and uh, it's often something that we return to. We probably have seen it two or three times. We know it's coming. We enjoy that sensation of the rising emotion. Just a girl standing in front of a boy, asking him to love her. I teared up the first time I saw Con Air. 
Yeah. After oh, the all, reunion Nick at Cage the end. and Cameron Cameron mm. Poe, the character, he's the one that bashes his um, that uh, bashes a guy who throws off at his wife, ends up going to prison, ends up on a prison plane that's flying him and the biggest scumbags on the planet uh, back to uh, back to his hometown where he'll finally be released and the plane gets hijacked. Anyway, the final scene is where after everything he's gone through, he gets to see his woman again and they're standing in a wrecked plane on the Las Vegas Strip embracing his wife and his child, the two mm. things he loves more than anything else in life. And Leanne Rhymes and How Do I Live Without You just oh. rises up beneath this oh. scene of great violence. And, Soaring yeah. song is great. What The final scene of an officer and a gentleman, Richard Gere, running through the factory <gasps> yeah. to sweep his love up. Love lifts us up where we belong. <laughs> are we going to sing? No. Dwayne Owitson Kilda, what film chokes you up? Yeah, guys, how are we? Very well, mate. Excellent. It's got to be Marley and Me, doesn't it? When oh. they're putting the laboratory oh. into the estate. <laughs> oh. I don't know the if I'm going to make it to the end of this segment. Oh That's God. also your film, isn't it, uh, Hyphen, who pushes the buttons for yes, us? Yes, it is. Yeah, yep. you've got tickets Marley to the Art of Banksy exhibition. Open now until Jan 22 at the Paddock Federation Square. Thanks for your call. Wade at Sunbury, what film makes you cry? G'day, guys. Um, the end of Fast and Furious 7. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Paul Walker, rest in peace, my man. And Have we got it, Hype, just to really make Wade? Bring back emotion, Wade-o. Yes, it does. Yeah, mate. Let's yeah. go to James at Park Orchards. What song do you allow yourself to feel emotion? What songs? What movie? Uh, Toy Story 3. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh. When they're slipping into the furnace? Yes, and they're holding hands. And oh. Growing, growing up with these characters. It yep. just it, it tugged all the heartstrings. I can feel the emotion in your voice, James. Just to cheer you up a bit, you've scored tickets to Victoria Derby Day. Uh, enjoy one of the most prestigious racing days of Australian horse racing. Enjoy. To Robert Glenn Huntley, what film makes you cry? Uh, Armageddon at the end there with Bruce Willis is saying goodbye to his daughter. Oh, that, uh, Rob, I actually watched Armageddon about a fortnight ago. First of all, the special effects for a film that's about 20 years old hold up perfectly when the boys are up there on the asteroid using their oil rigging skills to try and blow it up and save the Earth. But when he goes down the shaft with Ben Affleck, Affleck's expecting to walk out and lose his life saving the universe, and Bruce says, no, it's going to be me, and pulls Ben back. It's an emotional moment, isn't it, Rob? Oh, it gets me every time. <laughs> I love it. Wow, saving the universe. It's big stuff. I love that our audience is comfortable sharing their emotions. Yeah, well, they're an evolved modern audience. To That's Heidel- who we are. To Heidelberg. Matt, Matt uh, what film makes you cry? Yeah, mate. The uh, start of that movie, Up, you know, the old man with the balloons. and Oh, that. oh mate. Isn't it just a beautiful moment of like, you know, that 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 distance but the link between the young and the old the the end of life the beginning of it oh you've got me now (laughs) (laughs) we're gonna have to sit in a circle and sing kumbaya shortly (laughs) jason greensboro what film makes you cry i was tearing up just thinking about it it's got to be the true story about reuben hurricane carter the great uh, boxer, the yep, as yeah. uh, uh, you know, really romanticised in the Bob Dylan song, had the world at his feet, opportunity beckoning, and then he was put in jail for a crime he didn't commit. This is That's right. When he was released. Yep, That's Jason? When yeah, when he was released, that, that brings a tear to the eye every time. I think, uh, wasn't there a line in there, Moon Man? 
Hate put me in here. Love is going to bust me out. Mm. Ruben Hurricane Carter. Bandura, Jason, you can finish this off for us. How are you, Seb? Mate, doing really well. Yeah, you can finish stuff. this off as our last modern man oh. who allows himself to feel a bit of emotion Ooh, in a film. Yeah. Mate, uh, this is the greatest film of all time, I reckon. It's Top Gun, and when Goose dies... And uh, Maverick's holding him in the water, oh, and then no. later on, I, I'm I'm just about there now. I think oh, I'm gonna cry. Oh, yeah, and um, the greatest romance of all time, and 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 you almost had to cry when like you know the Ice Man came in to uh, to tell tell him he was dangerous. So yeah, great movie. I've oh. almost lost it, Moon Man. Moon Man, this will be our last show together for the week. Yes, it's been a great week, and I think we've had a. a Fabulous day today. It's culminated in the uh, the listeners at Triple M telling us what film chokes them up. I've just had a tweet from Trailblazer seventy. Rick Groom said, "My dad, six foot four, not a tough man, but I'd never seen him cry before or since watching The Champ when he dies." And the reason this all came about is mm. because you're alone at the moment. The woman you love more than anybody else on this planet, Lulu, mm. has left. Yep. Your beautiful daughter, Maggie, she's gone too. Rupert's been farmed out. They're in Notting Hill. A great, great movie about the story of true love. The smile on your face and Moon Man, it's just little old you back in Melbourne. How do you handle that sort of emotion? As this song plays in the background, but I'll uh, one-up this song yep. with this song straight back at you. From Conair. Oh, little Leanne Rhymes. <laughs> A man on a tarmac in a burnt-out plane <laughs> with his wife and child. Oh, 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 oh. oh, that's getting me. That is such a tremendous movie. Is that how you feel about me? That's absolutely. It's been great. Uh, stay on the straight and narrow. Stay away from Campbell's Cove. Keep your pants on and your car keys close. Okay, and we will never talk of nudist speeches again. Tomorrow, Madeline West, the beautiful Madeline West, incredibly talented actress and author, she is coming in to fill your shoes, Moon Man. And uh, she will do a tremendous job. If you haven't had a look at her book about mothering six children, then you should have a look at it because it's one of the best parenting books around. And if you've ever watched professional wrestling, this name is going to mean something to you. The game Triple H is going to be on Triple M's Hot Breakfast tomorrow morning. Oh, look out. One of the most famous wrestlers on the planet with a big story that affects Melbourne. Coming in right off the top rope. (laughs) <laughs> Straight down on the top of your head. That would hurt. Across Melbourne, this is Breakfast with Seb Costello and Lawrence Mooney on Triple M. Triple M rocks Melbourne.